You're listening to TIP. On today's episode, I chat with Gautam Bade, who is the managing partner and fund manager of Stellar Wealth Partners India Fund, a Delaware-based investment partnership, which is available to accredited investors in the U.S. The fund is modeled after the Buffett partnership fee structure and invests in listed Indian equities with a long-term, fundamental, and value-oriented approach. In this episode, Gautam shares how he discovered the art of intelligent investing through studying value investing principles and the teachings of investment legends like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, and many others. We also explore some of the key takeaways from Gautam's book, The Joys of Compounding, including the most important principles investors should focus on to build long-term wealth, why compounding more time in the market is one of the biggest edges investors can leverage to improve their odds of success. Gautam also shares why he believes having an informational edge is not necessary to do well in markets today. Rather, what sets investors apart is actually related to behavioral edges, or what Buffett likes to call temperament. He gives us a sense of his investing strategy and his checklist of what he looks for in high-quality companies, and explains why he focuses on investing in simpler businesses that require fewer assumptions. We also dive into value traps, what they are, how you can avoid them, and where Gautam thinks some of the best opportunities lie ahead. It's a great conversation. Gautam provides a ton of value, and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Let's dive right in. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Millennial Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Leonard, and with me today, I am joined by Gautam Bade. We are going to start by diving into his book. I absolutely love his book, The Joys of Compounding. And so, Gautam, I was hoping to start today by talking about your book and your story. Tell us about your journey as an investor and how your investment philosophy has changed over the years. Like most investors in the stock market, even I was attracted to the stock markets initially during the final euphoric phases of a bull market. In my case, it was the 2003 to 2007 bull market in India. I still remember I had invested in a mutual fund called Reliance Power Sector Mutual Fund in late 2007 in a stock named Ispat Steel in January 2008 because both of these were in the hot and fancied sectors of power and steel at the time. And both these investments had sharply appreciated very recently when I first noticed them. So I simply engaged in blind extrapolation of the recent price trends in them without paying any heed whatsoever to their valuations or underlying business models. And like most investors, I paid the price. Both those investments crashed 60 to 70% within the first year of my purchase. And I had successfully gained admission into the stock market by paying my tuition fees. Despite this initial setback, my interest and enthusiasm about the stock markets always remained very high throughout the first seven years of my professional investment banking career. And from 2008 to 2013, I was engaging in all kinds of short-term trading and investing without doing any thorough research. And I was getting nowhere. That is when it dawned on me that in order to become good in any field, you need to do two things. You need to do, you need to study and practice. If you want to become a good doctor, what do you do? You study and practice. If you want to become a good lawyer, what do you do? You study and practice. Similarly, if you want to become a good investor, what you need to do is study and practice. That is when I decided to 
read up on all the investment classics including one up on wall street all the warren buffett shareholder letters common stocks and common profits by phil fisher and a host of other investment books and i gradually started improving myself as an investor that is when my true journey as a value investor really began and because my entire knowledge base in the field of investing was so small it really took off from that tiny base and i was about to embark on the path of compounding knowledge in action so that is how i got started uh, as an investor i worked as a portfolio manager of global equity strategy at summit global investments in utah in us for four and a half years and while tracking global markets there india as a stock market very clearly stood out to me in terms of the number of high growth opportunities it offered so in two years back i quit my job as a portfolio manager and i started work on setting up my own india fund in the us that is a brief about my journey as an investor and my professional career now you talked about how the investment philosophy has evolved and changed over the years so my personal investment opportunity set has significantly expanded over the years with time and experience in the markets initially like most investors i started off by investing in low price to earning low price to book stocks because i started off by reading the intelligent investor by benjamin graham then i read about buffett munger and phil fisher and i started investing in quality stocks at reasonable prices but today it covers multiple areas of the investment universe including promoter and management change merger arbitrage spin offs cyclicals commodities instead of being restricted by my personal biased views to a very small opportunity set as was the case during my early years i am now able to invest in a variety of industries and situations wherever i find mispricing of value and a highly favorable risk and return trade off you see no single strategy works all of the time and in every kind of market and that is why it is essential to build up one's investing arsenal to be able to hunt for value from within different areas and over time i've come to realize and appreciate just why this is so critically important it is because a bull market is always going on at all points of time in some specific sectors of the stock market for instance during the 2009 to 2013 bear market in india it services information technology services consumer discretionary and pharmaceutical stocks created a lot of wealth for investors and everyone should keep this important principle in mind that new trends new sectoral trends always emerge during the fag end of a bear market so if you keep your eyes and ears open and respect the collective wisdom of the market the market itself will guide you in the right direction as to where the next leg of earnings upcycle is about to come that is how you make those great returns for yourself and your investors especially during a bear market pay very close attention to price trends and which sectors and stocks are breaking out to fresh 52 week highs because after every bear market the sectoral leadership changes so it's very important to be very alert during those times the first part of your book that i want to talk about is actually the title it doesn't get much, you can't go start at the beginning much more than that and that's the title and the reason i want to talk about that is because you talk about how the best chances that we have to improve our odds and and our success as investors is by focusing on compounding over time. So I was hoping you could flesh that out a little bit for us. I think a lot of people get caught up in short-term performance and what's happening in the news headlines today and and don't and and forget to think about the long term. So really I love in your book how you delve into what we should be focusing on instead. Take us through that. True. So all the great things in life, including investing returns, come from compound interest. And I'll give you some numbers to illustrate this because the human mind is not 
intuitively wired to understand the exponential nature of compounding. If you start with $10,000 and you compound at 20% for 25 years, your $10,000 would become $1 million. However, what would be your ending value at the end of year 20? So out of the 100 at the end of year 20, you would be at less than 40, which means that almost two-third of the 100x came in the final five years. So the power of compounding is backloaded and very few people are able to become rich through long-term investing because most of us lack the patience. Most of us succumb to instant gratification. But investing is a long-term game and the more time you give it, the lower the odds of disappointment. And we have got empirical data to prove this. If you look at the range of stock market returns as measured by the S&P 500 for any given year since 1950, so as of end of 2022, beginning from 1950, the range of any given year's return in the S&P 500 ranges from plus 47% to minus 37%. That's the broad range which you are working with in any given year. But if you extend your time horizon to five years and more, over any rolling five-year period, the range of returns from the S&P 500 narrows to plus 28% to minus 6%. And if you further elongate your time horizon to 20 years, history teaches us that over any rolling 20-year period, the S&P 500 returns range from plus 17% to plus 6%. In other words, there has been no rolling 20-year period since 1950 when you did not make at least 6% return per annum on average from the S&P 500. So this proves that if you elongate your time horizon, you've got the odds on your side, the probability of making positive returns are very, very high. And that is why everyone in the stock market should operate with a very long-term perspective. The longer you extend your time horizon, the better your odds of success. So this is why compounding is very powerful and a long-term time horizon is an equally important component in the compounding equation. In fact, if you look at the compounding equation, which is the only x variable which lies in the exponent, it is time. So you want to harness the exponential power of time in the compound interest equation. One of the other really fascinating parts of your book is how you wrote that 50 years ago, the best investors were ones that had an informational or analytical edge, whereas today it's a behavioral edge. And this was powerful to me because I spent, I've spent a long time studying Warren Buffett. And I did, you know, when I was just starting as an investor when I was really young, like 14, 15 years old. And you always read these stories about how Buffett would go to the library and just pour over these annual reports and, and how all these successful investors back then would do that. And so for me, when I was first starting, I thought that these were types of things that were required for me to be a successful investor. But you're actually saying that you know, we need a behavioral edge. And I found that really interesting. You said it's, you know, the analytical or informational edge isn't the case today. So share why you believe that today and, and why things may have changed. Traditionally, there have been three sources of edge for the individual investor. Number one, the informational edge. But with the advent of the internet, the informational edge is now absent. It's gone, basically. The second source of edge traditionally for investors has been the analytical edge. But with more and more smart people entering the investing profession, even the analytical edge is fast getting compressed. But the one edge, which is the most sustainable and durable in my view, is that of behavior and temperament. 50 years ago, the best investors were the ones with the information edge. But today, the best investors are the ones with a behavioral edge. 
as the speed of information dissemination and competition for short term out performance among money managers increased over the years time horizons and patience levels significantly decreased and today an investor's edge is less about knowing more than others about a specific stock it is more about the mindset discipline and willingness to take a long term view about the intrinsic value of a business the market is filled with people who are just focusing on the short term on this quarter's earnings per share print right down to the last two decimal points but that is not what investing is all about investing is about harnessing the power of compound interest over long periods of time by investing in good quality businesses or average quality businesses purchased at cheaper prices even that will work but focus on the margin of safety at all times focus on quality focus on quality of the management very very important and just have a long term horizon that this so in investing wisdom is much much more important than raw intellect like i write in my book as well that because temperament is what differentiates the great investors from the average investors warren buffett has very rightly said that we don't have to be smarter than the rest we just have to be more disciplined than the rest and that is where the wisdom lies there's so much wisdom in those words just by behaving sensibly i think you know a, a very good title of a future book should be the sensible investor because that's what good investing is really all about you just need to do sensible things and not do anything stupid charlie munger also said the same thing that you know people think that i'm trying to do something brilliant but all that i'm trying to do is not being stupid it's this desire to get rich quickly that leads most people to ruin in the market so just if you're willing to become rich slowly this is the place for you in your book you also talk about this idea of an inversion technique take us through how this works and how an investor could apply this to their own strategy and maybe an example of how you've done so before i talk about the inversion technique i would just like to quickly elaborate on the concept of the circle of competence it simply means investing in businesses that you can understand and what is important is not the size of the circle of competence that is the absolute number of businesses that you can understand what's important is that you have clearly defined its perimeter that is the kind of businesses you can understand and the inversion technique was espoused by charlie munger he learned about it from german mathematician gustav jacobi and the inversion technique simply says to arrive at a solution for any given problem simply turn the problem backward or upside down so if you want to arrive at your circle of competence that is the businesses that you understand try to draw a circle of incompetence that is businesses that you cannot understand once you have drawn your circle of incompetence that is businesses that you cannot understand you'll automatically get to your circle of competence that is businesses which you can understand and don't make the mistake of venturing outside your circle of competence driven by the fear of missing out or fomo during a bull market because that's a very common tendency instead spend time learning about businesses outside your circle learn about those businesses learn about those industries by reading about them and then only gradually you know you'll get to expand the edges of your circle of competence and for any newcomer in the market who wants to understand you know how to define my circle of competence or expand the edges of my circle of competence there is one simple way to do it read that's the only way you can expand your circle of competence for instance if you want to understand how to invest in community bank stocks read a book called analyzing and investing in community banks and then read the annual reports of some leading community banks in the industry they are relatively easier to understand and value and over time as you get to learn more and more about how this industry functions you can start investing in those businesses an alternative way is to read up the annual reports of companies 
in the industry in which you are currently working if you are working in the medical devices industry for example start reading up the annual reports of a few medical device companies that's also a good starting point the reason why i emphasize reading so much is that in investing the person that turns over the most rocks wins the game in life business relationships or investing nothing will work unless you do and there is no reason for any investor to settle for an inferior track record in marketplaces like us and india which are filled with companies having outstanding fundamentals so read and expand your circle of competence let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors hey everyone it's patrick your host of millennial investing every year my buddies and i do a guys trip to escape the cold and dreary ohio winters once we pick our destination without fail we all jump on airbnb and find an incredible place to stay we just got back from an amazing trip in palm springs california and our airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A dot com. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, High interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right, back to the show. You talk also in the book about the importance of having an investment checklist and how every investor should have one. I know everybody's criteria is going to be a little bit different but give us a sense of how an investor could go about building their own checklist and what it might include or what you might recommend it should include. So let's again use the inversion technique here. Inversion is a great way to narrow down your problem space. So instead of telling you the checklist items, the qualifying checklist items, I will talk about the disqualifying features in a checklist because that will greatly help you arrive at a investment decision faster. So in investing, there are only four things that can happen. A big profit, a big loss, a small profit or a small loss. And if you can avoid the big losses, 
you will do very very well over time and how do i go about avoiding the big losses for myself and my investors in my fund it's by avoiding certain things these are the disqualifying features in my checklist starting with number 1 investing in cyclical or commodity businesses near the peak of their cycle at their peak operating margins that's the first number 2 investing in public sector enterprises because there the majority owners primary motivation is not to do good for the minority shareholders it is to do societal good there also i avoid investing and number 3 investing in project based businesses dealing with government tenders because in these kind of businesses receivables are very elongated and cash flow becomes a very big issue so you know if you simply follow you know these disqualifying features in your checklist then you'll automatically you know know what to look for in a good business and here i would like to quickly also add that how do we define a high quality business you know if you just understand what defines a good quality or high quality business that itself will help bring a lot of clarity to your thinking as an investor right so a high quality business is one which earns high returns on capital which is well above its cost of capital and the difference between the return on capital and cost of capital gives you the free cash flow yield so the business should have some competitive advantage or a moat which to protect this wide gap between its return on capital and the cost of capital for long periods of time and number 3 the business should have sufficient number of reinvestment opportunities within its core business at high returns on capital that is how that particular business becomes a high quality compounding machine so these are the three fundamental attributes of a high quality business and through the inversion technique i also explain to you what are the disqualifying features which you can use in your checklist so combine these two aspects and you'll do very very well a component of your investing philosophy or strategy is you emphasize the importance of focusing on simpler businesses they generally require fewer assumptions and scenarios and the cash flows aren't always necessarily out in the distant future so their their value isn't way out into the future either making the business maybe a little bit more knowable or a little less uncertain so when you do have a company that is more complex or that the cash flows are way out in the future do you tend to just rule those companies out or how do you go about valuing companies like that when their total value is in the cash flows that are so far out there's a very good book by adam cecil written recently on investing in digital businesses for anyone wanting to understand how to value and invest in these digital companies which have got cash flows way out into the future they can read that book i'll just talk personally about my investment philosophy i'm a very conservative investor by nature so i like to invest in companies where the earnings and cash flows are already on the table and they are available at very attractive prices so i generally skip these digital companies which are currently unprofitable in many of the cases they are unprofitable for a reason so there are two kinds of digital companies one which are unprofitable by choice because they are investing a lot of money in sales you know sales and general administrative expenses and r&d and a lot of those expenses are getting expensed in the income statement so they are unprofitable by choice but there is a very large set of digital companies which are unprofitable by design by default they can never become profitable and there is a concept called unit economics basically you know it simply means whether the lifetime value of a customer is positive or not so as long as the lifetime total value the ltv of a customer is positive it makes sense to keep on investing to acquire more and more customers and the unit economics are positive but in vast majority of the cases for these digital companies the unit economics itself does not make any sense so they'll never create any value for shareholders so those kind of company should be avoided at all times 
you make the delineation between a great company and a great stock and how the market teaches us the lesson of how there's a big difference between them. Dive into this a little bit more for us and help us understand why great companies are not always great stock picks and they don't always reward investors in the market for holding them. So all the great investors in the world are ardent students of history and history teaches us many, many lessons. So let us look back in time to see what the future returns may look like for investors who are investing in today's hot stocks and paying exorbitant valuations for them. Let us go back into the past to a era of a very high invested exuberance, the Nifty 50, which reached its peak in 1972. For those in the audience who are not familiar with the concept of the Nifty 50, the Nifty 50 were a group of premier blue chip growth stocks, including IBM, Polarite, Kodak, Coca-Cola. And these had very large market caps, proven track records, and they had become institutional darlings in uh, early 1970. And at that particular point of time, no investor hesitated to pay 70, 80 or even 100 times earnings for these stocks, for the stocks of the most preeminent companies in the world. They had become one decision, no-brainer stocks with the simplistic sounding philosophy of these fund managers that if you buy a great company, whatever be the price, you'll end up making money. And it seemed so very intuitively appealing to the vast majority of the investing public that all of them fell for this particular theory. And subsequently, most of these growth stocks crashed 70 to 80% from their peaks by end of 1972. And investors lost a lot of money. This is why Warren Buffett has said that for the investor, a too high purchase price for the stock of an excellent company can undo the subsequent decade of favorable business developments. So the price which you pay for a business matters a lot. If all that there was to investing was to invest in high quality businesses, then all of us know which the high quality companies are. We would have all become rich. But it's not that simple. Eventually, all fast growers turn into stalwarts or slow growers. And this painful transition can lead to a long phase of valuation derating which causes the stock to trade flat or sideways for long periods of time. And it can result in a lost decade for investors. I'll give you an example here. So from 2000 to 2013, the stock of Adobe gave zero return to investors. It was a great business in 2000 and it was a great business in 2013 as well. But for 13 years, as an investor in Adobe, you made zero returns. So investing is all about finding pockets of mispricing, where basically you're getting more for the price that you're paying with the lowest amount of risk. That is what good investing is all about. It's not about being upside valuations for a business, however high quality it may be. So always pay attention to margin of safety. With interest rates where they are and the economy and and the stock market may be pulling back a little bit, if investors are thinking, okay, maybe this is, you know, we're seeing the stock market pull back a little bit in, in some cases, Maybe investors are thinking, okay, now's a time to to pick up some shares of these high quality, great companies that I've had on my watch list for a while, but they're not sure about valuation yet. What should investors be looking for to indicate that a company's valuation might be reasonable and a good time to buy or that the valuation might still be stretched? Well, it's a very good question. And here I would like to make a very important statement. I believe the time for active investing has come to make a very strong comeback. Over the last 15 years, since 2008, index investing and passive investing had done better. But in an era of high interest rates, the index may remain range-bound, but bottom-up stock picking 
the time for bottom of stock pickers to shine has finally arrived so here is where you'll have to pay attention to valuations cash flows balance sheet management quality all the good stuff and this is what is called in the good old markets like we call them this is a normal market environment this is how markets historically have been before 2008 so you know this is an environment in which you need to just focus on companies which have got earnings on the table where the valuations are very favorable and don't pay very high p multiples in this high interest rate environment because interest rates act like a force of gravity for valuations in the stock market so you know if the uh, risk free interest rate is 4 to 5% then you simply you know do one by uh, risk free rate to arrive at 25 p multiple try to avoid paying this more than this particular p multiple for any business in the stock market unless that particular business can provide you longevity of growth and visibility of growth for a very very long period of time the business has to be very very rock solid and it has to have a very very strong moat in fact in today's times who would have thought that the moat of google in search could be threatened but now we have got chat gpt which has led to this valuation derating of google so in today's digital era you know it's truly sacrosanct you can you know form your initial hypothesis about the strength of the moat but given the technological advancements we are seeing in the world today it's very very important to constantly monitor whether the moat is getting stronger or weaker because investing is all about terminal value it's all about the trajectory of the return on capital employed the trajectory of the terminal value is the business becoming more more valuable or more safer over time are the cash flows becoming more robust over time or are they getting threatened and the market is very smart if any business's terminal value is getting threatened the valuation derating will happen fast and furious and you may end up investing in a value trap so avoid investing in value traps in the stock market very very important how can investors identify and then avoid value traps i think this is a big problem especially for value focused investors how do how do we identify and avoid them in the stock markets expensive is expensive for a reason and cheap is cheap for a reason many a times switching from a high pe stock to a low pe stock proves to be a very big mistake because you know many a times there is this common investor tendency that we look at the sector leaders high valuation and we try to find the poor cousin and try to invest in a stock from the same sector at a relatively lower valuation and that is where maximum damage happens and permanent loss of capital occurs so what is a value trap value trap is a business which looks cheap based on you know trailing pe or price to multiples but it is actually very expensive in reality and what are the various signs of a value trap so number 1 cyclicality of earnings so a cyclical business may be operating at peak operating margins and you may be buying it at the peak of the industry cycle at a low price to earning ratio but once you normalize the earnings normalize the margins the stock is actually very expensive so that's one cyclicality of earnings number 2 is app risk so a stock of a taxi company may have looked very attractive in the past but that was before uber arrived so technological obsolescence or termination of terminal value this can also lead to you investing in value traps in india there are stocks of a few print newspaper companies listed available at very cheap prices but today we don't consume news by by ordering the physical newspapers most of us read news digitally so again where the terminal value is at risk the p ratio may look cheap but that's actually a value trap you have to focus on the denominator of the p ratio the e the earnings the earnings aren't structural decline or are threatened to you know become zero over time then those are value traps to be avoided number 3 bad capital allocation if a management is constantly taking the cash flows from a business and investing that into value destructive projects 
which have got return on capital below the cost of capital the market is rightly giving that business a very low price to earning multiple so don't fall for that value trap and finally we have got governance issues the intrinsic value of a business with fraudulent management is zero no price is cheap in such cases so avoid those value traps as well so sum up cyclicality of earnings app risk or technological risk which threatens terminal value bad capital allocation and corporate governance issues these are what lead to value traps in the market how do you approach a situation when you find a high quality company passes all of your investment criteria maybe checks all the boxes on your checklist but the valuation isn't quite where you want it to be or it does look a little bit stretched how do you approach and handle situations like that investors with a bias against high pe stocks tend to miss or end up missing some of the biggest stock market winners of all time and you mentioned about this delicate balance between not wanting to overpay for a high quality business here i would like to share two white papers with your audience so that everyone understands what is the justified p multiple for a given stock or a business so the first white paper is titled what does a price to earning multiple mean it's written by michael morbison and the second white paper is titled the p ratio a user's manual by epoch investment partners once you read these two white papers your thought process will become crystal clear as to how the interplay between return on invested capital and growth in the business determines the justified or the fair p multiple for a business and you may be surprised to know that for businesses which can promise you longevity of earnings growth of 12 to 15% over a decade or more today's justified p multiple for such a business is northward of 50 times and more that's why it's very important to read these two white papers to understand what is the justified p multiple now in india the market in which i specialize there are many large cap consumer companies which are growing at 10 12% trading at 80 90 p multiples and i'm not willing to pay high p multiples such high p multiples for slow growth but if i can find such companies at the small cap or mid cap stage where they are growing much more faster and with high longevity of growth i'm more than happy to pay even as high as 40 to 50 times p multiple for current years earnings because in such companies once you've identified them at a small cap or mid cap stage if they've got longevity of growth the valuation multiple does not derate in fact the valuation multiple keeps expanding throughout the high growth phase of a company as it transitions from a small cap to a large cap and once it reaches the large cap stage and growth matures and starts slowing down the valuation multiple starts normalizing down to a more steady state p multiple so these are things which you get to learn only with the passage of time and experience in the markets don't get no just don't mechanically dismiss any company with a high p multiple look at which stage of the industry cycle which stage of the company cycle the company is in is it in the growth stage or the maturity stage or the decline stage and then take your decision accordingly in your book you talk about looking for companies where the market's expectations aren't pricing in what you think will happen and so you're talking about the justified pe and because of this you're you're figuring out the implied growth that the market is pricing in is that the way you're thinking about it so a reverse discounted cash flow operation fleshes out the market's expectations about growth and margins from the stock in question so one of the four questions which i ask myself when evaluating a stock is what is the market factoring in at this current valuation versus what are my own future assumptions for the stock in question so you can simply carry out a reverse dcf operation and compare the market's assumption with that of your own to decide whether you want to invest in the company or not in india we have got a tool called tijori finance in which you can simply conduct a reverse dcf operation very easily very quickly 
and once you have those markets assumptions in front of you you just compare them with your own and then you decide whether you want to invest or not i've never used those implied growth rates in my own practice or my own investing but it is something i've studied is that something that you always do in your investment process i do i do so i think reverse dcf you know just is a broad sanity check just to get a sanity check on the valuations and whether they make sense or not because some businesses which are very vulnerable to very rapid shifts in technology if i see that the market is factoring in more than 25 to 30% growth over the next 10 years and more for such a business then the base rate of success becomes very low and good investors focus on base rates base rates simply means a reference historical class comparing the current situation to what has happened in similar situations in the past and history teaches us that in very fast moving fast changing industries characterized by rapid shifts in technology you know you cannot expect that business to grow linearly for a very long period of time because it is can be threatened by very rapid change in the, the industry landscape so be more conservative in those cases i'm much more comfortable paying a high p multiple for a business which caters to basic human needs like shelter food basic essentials like medicines there you can basically you know have a much more longer time horizon and longer set of assumptions but in businesses which can be threatened by technology there i tend to become much more conservative in my estimates let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors hey everyone it's patrick your host of millennial investing every year my buddies and i do a guys trip to escape the cold and dreary ohio winters once we pick our destination without fail we all jump on airbnb and find an incredible place to stay We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/host. That's airbnb.com/host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com/millennialinvesting. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found on the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com/flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification which offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. 
You can also enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. Earlier, you touched on how you use negative information to guide your investment decisions. And in your book, you talk about figuring out what a stock is not worth, which I'm hoping you can talk to us a bit more about this, flesh this out a bit more, because I think it's a really interesting way to value a company or think about valuing a company. I don't hear a lot of people talking about what a stock is not worth. Again, you know, the best investing decisions tend to you know be ones which just look so obvious. So I'll give you a live example from my India fund. It was an investment I made a month ago in a stock named Arthi Pharma Labs. This is not an investment advice. This is just to explain to you what a stock is not worth. So there is a very big industrial corporate group in India called the Arthi Group. They have got various companies listed like Arthi Industries, Arthi Surfactants, Arthi Drugs, Arthi Pharma Labs. Arthi Drugs from that group is a very low margin, inferior generic drugs business. And here you had Arthi Pharma Labs, which was a spin-off from Arthi Industries. What happens is when a small cap or micro cap is spun off from a large cap parent, which has got very high institutional shareholding, then those large cap funds, once they receive shares of the small cap stock in their portfolio, they tend to start dumping it in the open market, irrespective of valuations. And because of this forced selling, you can buy such businesses at very cheap prices. Now, after the spin-off, because of this forced selling from institutions, Arthi Pharma Labs had fallen to a trailing P multiple of 12 times. Okay. Now, if Arthi Drugs from the same corporate group, which is an inferior business, is trading at 23 times, how can the much more superior business of Arthi Pharma Labs trade at half the valuation? It did not make any sense whatsoever. This is where, just by using common sense and understanding what a stock cannot be worth, it's just it's not possible. You end up making great returns. So. Stella Wealth Partners India Fund, we bought our stake in Arthi Pharma Labs at around price of around 250 rupees. The stock is up more than 40% in just one month because now what the market is doing is once that forced selling from the institutions got over, the market is now quickly re-rating the stock back to at least the valuation multiple of Arthi Drugs, which is the inferior group company. A higher quality business from an industry cannot be worth half the valuation of a much inferior business from the same industry or the same corporate group. This is an example of what a stock could not be worth and how we made use of this information to generate good returns for investors. We've talked about how compounding is the best and has such a, a big factor. It's such a key to success in investing. But at the same time, people might come into a, a situation where they might have to sell a stock or they're not sure if they should hold on to a stock because of valuation or how the company's changing, et cetera. So how often do you re- revisit your valuation analysis, especially when you're having a really long-term horizon? How often are you recalculating the value? More than recalculating the value, I do look at the valuations on a one-year forward basis using my conservative estimates. And I do not sell a stock just on high valuations because high quality businesses are very rare to come by and they undergo long periods of time correction. But the advantage of a diversified portfolio is that when these high quality businesses become overvalued in the short term, and then they undergo time correction and they take rest, the rest of the portfolio starts firing. And that is what does the heavy lifting for you during such years. 
Now, while I mentioned I'm happy with uh, staying put and holding on to highly valued, high quality companies, but I'm not willing to hold on to the business if it becomes absurdly valued. So what do you mean by absurdly overvalued? So personally, I've got this mental exit criteria that you know if a business crosses more than a 100 P multiple, I'll get out of the stock, no questions asked. Even though it may go up even further from there during a period of market euphoria, that is the internal uh, you know, high hurdle which I've kept for myself. And in India, it's not uncommon to find the stocks of high quality businesses trading at 40, 50 or 60 P multiples because many foreign investors do not understand that the quality of the supply of quality equities in India is very limited. So these quality, handful of quality businesses in India, which are roughly, there may be 100 companies at max like that, they enjoy what is known as a scarcity premium. And that is why great investors just don't, you know, try to apply rigid theories. They try to understand the ground realities of the individual stock markets in which they operate. Because this, and at the end of the day, the price of a stock is driven by only two factors, demand and supply. If the demand for high quality equities is high, and the supply of such high quality equities is low in India, then obviously the valuation multiples will be very elevated. But at the same time, you have to make sure that you don't buy them at absurd valuations. Try to, you know, you'll get those companies at a reasonable price during a bear market or a market crash like March 2020. But very rarely will you find high quality companies in India cheap per se in absolute terms. So you have to make peace with that fact and then buy them at a reasonable to fair prices and then enjoy the compounding returns. It's not really a super new topic, but a lot of people have been talking about India as kind of the next China, if you will, or growing as fast as China was, you know, a decade or two ago. And so a lot of people are interested in the business and investment opportunities there. And I'd say you that's your specialty, investing in, in the Indian stock market. So that said, I'm curious to get some insight from you uh, for particular, particularly U.S. investors who are looking to diversify their holdings away from just U.S. stocks. How should they think about the Indian stock market and potentially investing there? It is my personal conviction and belief that the opportunities of the next 20 years in India will be far greater than those in the last 20 years. And the opportunities of the next 20 years will dwarf that of the last 20 years. And where will these opportunities come from? They'll come from two sources variant perception and long-term structural trends. Variant perception refers to having a differentiated view on the short to medium-term trajectory of a business. And variant perception refers to situations where you get return on capital employed ROC expansion coupled with earnings growth, you get valuation re-rating, and you end up with multi-baggers. And there are multiple triggers for variant perception. Number one, product mix change into a higher margin category. So in these cases, what happens is the net profit grows at a faster rate than revenue growth because you're introducing new higher margin value-added products. Number two, operating leverage, which can come from having high unutilized capacity just at the beginning of an industry upcycle. So that's the second one. Number three, improvement in working capital cycle. If the company is able to negotiate better terms of trade with its customer and suppliers, then the working capital cycle gets crunched down. And because working capital is a part of capital employed, your return on capital employed goes, goes up and you get valuation re-rating. Number four, deleveraging. As debt goes down, interest cost goes down, net profit goes up, market gap goes up. Also, because debt is a part of capital employed, your return on capital employed also goes up with a reduction in debt. Number five, positive regulatory change. So in early 2020, the government of India started putting a heavy emphasis on ethanol blending. 
And since then, we have had many multi-baggers coming from the sugar mills and distillery space in India. Number six, industry cycle shift. So since middle of 2020, the residential real estate cycle in India has turned around after more than a decade. And we have had many multi-baggers coming from the building material space in India. Number seven, improvement in asset turns. You can get this information from managements on conference calls. You can ask them what is the expected turnover on the new fixed asset capacity. And there are two levers for ROC expansion. One is improvement in asset turns and one is margin improvement. And between the two, I prefer the former because higher margins tend to attract competition. Finally, we have corporate actions like spin-offs, promoter or management change, merger arbitrage, and divestiture of a loss-making or non-core business segment. As you sell off a loss-making business segment, the net profit goes up, market gap goes up. And when you divest non-core business segment, the markets reward the focused management with a higher valuation multiple. So these are the various triggers for varying perception. Now let's talk about long-term structural trends. Long-term structural trends are found in industries with a very favorable structure. They're organized like a monopoly or an oligopoly or a duopoly, ideally a duopoly at best. Because, you know, like in a duopoly, you know, generally those kind of companies do not tend to engage in price wars. So I really like to invest in industries with a duopoly structure. These kind of industries have got consistency and predictability of cash flows and you have a long runway for growth ahead. So you have visibility for many, many years ahead. Long-term structural trends are also characterized by value migration. So in India for the last 20 years, we have had value migration from unorganized to organized, public sector to private sector. So find pockets of value migration where the value migration is taking place. And today there are multiple structural growth plays available in the Indian stock market, including specialty chemicals with critical application, contract manufacturing, affordable housing, fintech, financialization of savings, and branded discretionary consumption. The last two categories I mentioned, financialization of savings and branded discretionary consumption, very, very important. And I'll just quickly give you a brief of of why I'm saying this. History teaches us that the fastest pace of wealth creation in any stock market takes place when that country transitions from 3 trillion GDP to 6 trillion dollars of GDP. And why does this happen? It's because if you look at the history of US, China, and Japan, when those countries' GDP went from 3 trillion to 6 trillion, their stock markets did not just double. Their stock markets tripled or even quadrupled. And why did it happen? It's because as a nation transitions from a low income per capita country to a middle income per capita country, the basic spending on items like food does not go up much. But this spending on categories of branded discretionary consumption and financialization of savings, these two categories simply explode. Today, India is at $3.3 trillion of GDP. We are right in the sweet spot. And we are just on the cusp of the fastest pace of wealth creation in India's stock market. And already these, these two categories in the last two years, which was the category which outperformed the most, it was branded discretionary consumption and financialization of savings. These two themes outperformed the most. In fact, in India, like from 35 million individual DMAT or brokerage accounts three years ago, today we are standing at 120 million brokerage or DMAT accounts. So this financialization of savings trend is already exploding in full force as seen in the last three years. So for investing success in the Indian stock market, you want to position your portfolio to make the most of these two big themes. You've talked about how you don't think passive investing in the sense of like an ETF or an index fund is going to be the way to go in the future. So do you think that might not be the best way to play this trend for the Indian stock market that you just talked about and all the all the positives that are going forward for India right now? 
the problem with an ETF or an index is that it consists of good businesses and bad businesses. But you know, if you want to generate alpha and if you want to beat the index, by definition, you have to concentrate your portfolio into the best quality stocks and names which you can find. So, you know, like I mentioned to you, you know, variant perception and long-term structural trends, these are the two key pillars of Stellar Wealth Partner India Fund's investment philosophy. The long-term structural trends provide us with long-term compounding, you know, giving us equal or slightly better than the index returns. Whereas the shorter term tactical opportunities found by variant perception help us to generate that alpha over time for investors. So this is the, the reason why bottom-up stock picking and active investing is all set to make a big comeback because if the market is right now expecting the interest rates to come down again, but what if the interest rates do not come down? In such a scenario, the index may become range mount for a long period of time. We should remember that between year 2000 and year 2013, the NASDAQ index gave zero returns for 13 long years. I'll give you one more number from history. This was about the NASDAQ. Let's look at the Dow. From December 31st, 1964 to December 31st, 1981, during those 17 long years, the Dow Jones Industrial Average went from 874 to 875, a single point move over 17 years. So we have had periods in history when the index gave no returns in case of the NASDAQ for 13 years, in case of the Dow for 17 years. So it's very, very important to be bottom up and why restrict ourselves to only our home country or you know have a home country bias? You know, we are a world which is very globalized, very digital, information is readily available, and money frankly has got no color. Every dollar spends the same. Whether you make it from India, whether you make it from Europe, whether you make it from US, ultimately the beauty of capitalism is that money has got a metaphysical attraction to places where it can be put to the best possible use. So as investors start realizing the growth potential of the Indian stock market. They have no choice but to have some allocation. And it's my personal conviction and belief that every investor in the world today should have some allocation to Indian equities in their portfolios. It's very, very important. And what is the reason why I say this? It took India 58 years to make its first trillion dollars of GDP. But it took India just seven years to reach its second trillion dollars of GDP. And the subsequent trillions of GDP will be achieved in faster succession. So if we simply assume the market cap to GDP to approximate one over time, one can just envisage and visualize the kind of wealth creation that lies in store for investors in the great Indian businesses, trillions of dollars over the next few decades. And who will capture the bulk of this upcoming wealth creation boom in the Indian stock markets over the next 20 years? The nation's best managed companies with proven ability to scale up their operations will capture the bulk of this stock market addition, which is about to take place. That is where you want to position your portfolio to generate wealth for yourself and your investors. Towards the beginning of the interview, you mentioned how there are always opportunities, even in bear markets. There's always somewhere to find a new opportunity. And if we look at the US, it's been one of the leading stock markets. And you talked about how in bear markets, new leaders often emerge. So how should investors be thinking about where the new investment market leadership will come from. Is it going to be the US? Is it going to be a different market? Generally, where are you looking for for the best opportunities for investors? This is not investment advice. Please do your due diligence. But one place where I would definitely look at is all the ancillary plays related to gold and silver. I think last year when uh, the United States weaponized the dollar against Russia, it prompted many of the central banks and governments across the world to start stocking up on gold. And silver, even though silver has got an industrial use, but there is a particular ratio of silver to gold, 
you know below which uh, silver tends to become very cheap so i think precious metals like gold and silver will do very well over the next 5 years and if you can find ancillary plays related to gold and silver in the us stock markets i think that is a good place to look at at the end of the day money chases growth in any stock market if the growth in tech is slowing down and if a you no know, new uh, sector is showing high earnings growth money will automatically gravitate to such sectors after every bear market so i just mentioned gold and silver but you know it irrespective any sector or group of companies which are experiencing very high top line growth that is exemplifying sector leadership that is where you want to position your portfolio in the stock market in which you operate it's all about earnings you know we may have fads and trends like you know we had nft spacs and all that speculation in 2020 2021 but ultimately it was companies which had very solid earnings lot of cash flows those companies are still doing very well look at what microsoft and apple how the stocks have performed over the last two years they are still very rock solid but the companies which were you know very sensitive to economic conditions like for example google and facebook which derive most of the revenues from advertising revenue the markets were very efficient they took down the valuations of both the stocks very very sharply on top of that google had the chat gpt headwind and you know facebook had issues in its business so you know the market is very very efficient i've realized over time the market is very smart if you simply respect the collective wisdom of the market and if you're doing this 24/7 you develop what i call the a feel for the market the market itself will guide you in the right direction you just have to be humble and listen to it before we wrap up today gatam where is the best place where do you want people to go to find your information online find your book etc sure so for people who want to learn more about the book they can visit the jaws of compounding.com uh, for people who want to learn more about my india fund in the us they can go to stellawealthindia.com and for uh, people who want to invest in stellawealth pms which is a portfolio management service for indian citizens and nris they can visit completecirclewealth.com great i will be sure to put a link to all your resources and your awesome book in the show notes below as everybody li- listens knows all the resources just swipe up on your podcast app you can find them in the show notes below if you're interested in checking them out more thanks again this was a pleasure thank you all right guys that's all i had for this week's episode of millennial investing i'll see you again next week thank you for listening to tip make sure to subscribe to we study billionaires by the investors podcast network Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin, and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts, or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.